Today's podcast is brought to you by Horizons Resolve Adaptive Asset Allocation ETF, which trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol HRAA and is sub-advised by Resolve Asset Management. HRAA is an alternative fund whose investment objective is to seek long-term capital appreciation by investing directly or indirectly in major global asset classes, including, but not limited to, equity indices, fixed income indices, interest rates, commodities, and currencies. HRAA gains exposure to these asset classes by investing in derivative instruments that may include future contracts and forward agreements and securities. HRAA will take long or short positions, using up to a maximum of three times leverage in asset classes such as equity indices and fixed income asset classes, commodities, currencies, volatility indices, and other alternative asset classes. HRAA could provide balance to your portfolio by harnessing three unique investment styles. The first is an actively managed global risk parity portfolio to provide maximally diversified global exposure in optimal risk balance. The second is a proprietary systematic global macro process that attempts to profit from short-term market moves, going both long and short on more than 50 global markets. Finally, HRAA uses a dynamic tail protection overlay that attempts to profit from large moves in volatility markets. To learn more about this, please visit www.horizonsetfs.com HRAA to read about the ETF's investment objectives and important disclaimers about the risks associated with an investment in the ETF. Hello and welcome to Gestalt University, hosted by Adam Butler, Mike Philbrick, and Rodrigo Gordillo of Resolve Asset Management Global. This podcast will dig deep to uncover investment truths and life hacks you won't find in mainstream media, covering topics that appeal to left-brain robots, right-brain poets, and everything in between, all with the goal of helping you reach excellence. Welcome to the journey. All right, welcome. That concludes the show with four-hour video prior to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, a good one, thanks for though. joining, and have a great weekend, everybody. <laughs> Got a poke. You know what I love about ourselves. that uh, video? That it came out in 2020, like early 2020. Yeah. How awesome is that? Just like prescient. Prescient, right? baby. Prescient. Yep. That's right. Yeah. So we got a great guest today. We got uh, Stewie Stu, the Stew Man Barton, the man of the vol. Ball of the hour, the tower of power. He's with us today, so it's going to be a bit exciting and fun. And uh, I want to warn everybody before we get started: this is for entertainment purposes and educational purposes. So anything you hear on this is not advice. Don't take advice from YouTube shows at four o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. It's just not good counsel. Anyway, with that said, gentlemen, over to you. Let's fire this uh, tanker up. Oh, I can't hear Adam. You guys muted me already? <laughs> <laughs> it usually takes at least 15, 20 minutes for you guys to get sick of hearing. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say, first of all, uh, congrats to Stu on, on the launch of, of a couple of new products. Um, Cheers. And uh, congrats to everybody on the end of a quarter. And um, it, was a, it was quite a, a good quarter for um, a lot of CTA funds, trend funds, that kind of stuff. Um, macro trading funds. So, um, you know, I think this regime is just getting started. So um, I'm excited. So, uh, all right, let's, uh, let's talk to, to Stuart about um, maybe your background and um, then we can get into some of the fun stuff that you're currently working on. Sure. Um, yeah, I've, I've been a, a volatility trader of one 
flavor of another for um, probably more than 20 years now. Started my career in London with, uh, with Barclays Capital um, and uh, moved to the US in the early 2000s to start uh, their equity derivatives business in New York. Been around the world a bit since then, spent some time in Hong Kong for HSBC, which was fun. Uh, back to the US and, and more recently, um, I, I, I founded two businesses that I'm chief investment officer of. The, the first one that, that's now must be in its uh, must be in its sixth year, um, Invest Involve is a is an RIA that, that manages volatility strategies for for individuals uh, and other advisors. And then more recently, in the last few years, um, Volatility Shares, which is the um, sponsor of the of the new uh, the ETFs that many many people would have seen would have seen launching this week. Awesome. Exciting. Um, so I actually, I'm not sure if we can say the names of those ETFs on this show. Um, so I won't say we, it. It might if we can. We, we yeah, can. Okay. We can. He, Stuart may not be able to comment, but we yeah, can yeah, say what we would like to say. Uh, all, all with the caveat that it's none of it's advice. So it's just four letters. That's true. So <laughs> Stuart, look away so, yeah, so, while we say it. Look away. <laughs> yeah. So the, yeah. So ETFs are the volatility shares. Is it double uh, double long and then there's a single short, right? So there's SVIX and there's UVIX. And um, they just, I think, started trading this week. Uh, so Stuart, congratulations on that. Um, maybe talk a little bit about the indices that are behind these ETFs and um, what, how, they're, how you designed them. And then Maybe let's talk about um, the history of volatility-based uh, listed products. But first of all, yeah, what's what's going on in these indices? Absolutely. I mean, first, I apologize for, you know, not being able to, like, get into too much nitty-gritty and talk about the stocks. So, you know, I think everyone's aware and perhaps some people who are watching w- w- wouldn't know. But, you know, once you become an issuer of securities, there's, you know, there's a, there's a, lot, of, there's a lot of rules and, and compliance that one has to follow. Um, so you know, I have to I have to be I have to be careful when I say. I would say if, if one is interested in in any any uh, any ETFs or any stocks for that matter, um, go and read the prospectus. They're always available. Uh, you know, go and find them and, and read that prospectus before you before you uh, do anything with um, with these sorts of products. So yeah, we, we've been we've been um, sort of looking into the, um, the launch of of these these ETFs for about three years now. So. It's, it's public and, and there's been many news stories about it. So I think pe- people will be able to find the information online. But, you know, ultimately we know um, over the last few years that there's been a, there's been a few uh, products disappear from the landscape. Um, I won't mention, mention their names, but uh, products you know, that were issued by big banks or ETNs, not ETFs, ETNs, but um, yeah, ran into some trouble for various reasons um, and, and left, left the market. So we decided there was probably an opportunity to bring back those exposures in a, in a different format. Now, personally, 10, 15 years ago when I was at Barclays and we were launching the very first ETNs, um, it did seem like a very good wrapper for a lot of things. Neat thing about an ETN, it's a debt instrument issued by a big bank. You know, you've got the, the full weight of the bank's credit worthiness behind it, and you can effectively structure any payoff into that. And, stick them out there and you know banks have been doing these for years they were very popular in Europe and and, and, and in the US um, 
but they have disadvantages. You, you know, you're at the you're at the whim of, of the bank. The bank gets to choose how it's it's going to handle that going forward. It may choose to shrink it. It may choose to close it. You also have the credit risk on those products. Um, yeah, I think uh, there were times in 2000 and yeah, back in 2008 and whatever that, that you know, these, these issued notes by by banks that were, were near failure. Know, their payoff would have looked nothing like what you would expect. You'd say, oh, it's got to have this equity payoff. Or it's going to have this derivatized payoff. But the reality is this thing could go to zero. You know, this, you, could, this, you, might, you, might, you might lose everything. Um, so anyway, you know, our view was there was a better way to bring this sort of exposure to the market and, and figured the ETF packaging was, was, was a, better, uh, a better approach. So um, we went down that route. Um, we spent several years going through the long uh, sort of legal um, uh, process with, with the regulators to to eventually get to something that made sense clearly to them ultimately, but but, but to us and, and to the market and, and all the participants and, and, and stakeholders. So the indexes that, that the products, uh, the newer products track, um, we designed in a, in a different way to previous fixed-linked indexes. Many fixed-linked indexes, or in, in fact, all of them until the, these recent ones that we've, we, we've uh, been involved in producing or helping produce, go from, they effectively give the performance from settlement of the futures to settlement of the futures. Simple as that. And of course, if you if you develop products that track settlement to settlement, you've got to make sure you get settlement and you get settlement. Otherwise, you've got tracking error. But even worse, the tracking error is if you're an ETN issuer, you've you've told everyone they're getting settlement to settlement. So you have to get or better settlement to settlement at all costs, because otherwise this, these products are not you know they're going to they're going to burn holes in the uh, in, in in the bank's um, pocket. So. That's sort of a, fun, a fundamental flaw, I thought, in, in the way that the, the products that were out there operate um, and thought, well, there's got to be a better way to do it. So what we thought was start by producing some indexes that don't just look for settlement to settlement. And, and what we came up with was using a TWAP process. So say, well, how about we say it goes from, it measures the performance from the last 15 minutes TWAP to the, net, the, 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 the um, next day's 15, last 15 minute TWAP. Um, and you could say, well, is that really important? It's going to be about the same movement every day you know, as, the, as the settlement to settlement. But there's one important difference, and that is if you try and do a leveraged or inverse type of payoff on an index that's settlement to settlement, you have to do your rebalance at settlement. Whereas if you do it at a TWAP to TWAP, you've got a whole TWAP period to match. So, you know, you've got 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever the period might be to, to, you know, to get all your volume done. Now, that's, that's pretty helpful. The VIX is a, is a liquid space, but, you know, when, when you've got to do, you know, these products have often have in the past got quite big. And, um, you know, it can be advantageous to be able to spread that, that, that liquidity um, over a period. Let's talk about that specifically in the context of Balmageddon of February 2018. So why? So this is clearly an important, um, I guess, development in in the space. What happened then, and you know, what's the risk of not being able to do what you just mentioned? Yeah, and, and you make you know you, you make a good point by by bringing that up. Um, so February fifth, two thousand eighteen, as as many will know, saw a tremendous spike in the 
VIX complex, when we, we saw a relatively mild drawdown in the S&P, I think the S&P on that day was down about 4%, but we saw a tremendous um, uh, you know, a tremendous um, spike in, in, in the VIX price. Now, when we go back and look at what happened that day, it seems like the VIX was, or the VIX futures were sort of ticking along at sort of a plus 30% kind of move, which is what one might expect for a 4% down. It's like, it's a big move down, but it's not, you know, like we've seen these before, it's not the end of the world. But then what was weird was in sort of the last five or 10 minutes of futures trading, that plus 30% went to almost a plus 100%, you know, and almost doubling. And it was a, you know, it was a quite a sudden, it was quite a, you know, the, the equity market hadn't really fallen any further. We just saw this like tremendous drive up in the futures. And, you know, at the time, this had a devastating impact on, on some uh, existing ETPs that were out there. And, you know, I'm sure many, many people know the, the big names. Um, but it was suspicious how, how that happened. Now, now we can look back and, and, and sort of analyze it um, and understand what happened. But what's quite probable is that simply the amount of rebalance that needed to be done by those ETPs on that day at settlement price, just right at settlement, right at the end of the day, was just more than the market could handle. And I think people went into that settlement market, found that you know, liquidity was starting to wane. They were, they were buying what they could but couldn't get enough, started to buy it also in the cash market ahead of settlement, and that just pushed it right up. And, and something that's kind of you know, adds some you know, further you know, further weight to that argument is, is it didn't take long for the futures then to fall. And we saw them collapse the next day back to more reasonable reasonable levels. Um, so it, it definitely looked like you had this sort of instantaneous need for VIX futures that seemed to disappear, the, you know, after the close. And, you know, that, that's, one of the, that's one of the reasons that the new indexes, um, you know, spread that, you know, spread that, but that, over 15 minutes rather than rather than instantaneously at the same. So the risk of that type of vol explosion um, is substantially lower now with, with the current design, you figure? You know, I can't say, and I wouldn't want to say, but what I, what I would say is spreading rebalance volume over a period of time, I think it is advantageous. Um, you know, I'll let, I'll let people judge whether they, how advantageous that, that is, but you know, I think most people would agree that you know, trying to get an enormous amount of volume done at one moment in time it puts you in this weird situation of, of if anything goes wrong at that very moment in time, whether it's operational, whether it's connectivity. You know, there's, there's so many things in the financial markets that make it all work that, that could just go wrong very slightly. Um, that having the opportunity to spread it over a period of time you know, lessens the yeah, chances of it, of it ending. It would, it would certainly seem that would it would increase capacity, right? You, you have more time, so I don't know how it would decrease. Yeah, capacity, yeah. That, I mean, that, that, that's right. I mean, so the, the way the way we've um, the, the way we've sort of uh, phrased the the, the or, or built the methodology of the index is to allow somebody who's using it to have access to both the settlement and to the fifteen minutes at the end. So you know, it, it, so it, it's sort of almost the best of both worlds. So well, okay, there's lots of there's lots of um, volume in the settlement, true, but there's also lots of volume in the last 15 minutes. It, it's it's surely better to be able to use both 
do 50-50, do 50 in, 50 in each. And, and you know, you, 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 with the same amount of volume, you, I would expect, I think most people would expect there to be less market impact spreading it over that way. I wanted to also get into um, your sense of how investors use these products. We don't, we don't need to you know, talk about any particular products, but how do investors use like short VIX products or long VIX type type products? Well, yeah, I mean, more for, like there's there's a couple of vol products and access points that Stuart has. So it's it's really a question on how does one incorporate vol into a portfolio, and then you know structuring. Do you do it through an ETF, a fund? Do you have a separately managed account? What are the differences? All of that. Because at first blush, it seems like one of those products that you're kind of baffled why the regulators would allow them them to go live. But if you start peeling back what the utility of these things are, it actually becomes, it can become a quite useful tool for private wealth, for institutions, for all types of players. So Stuart, just enlighten us a little bit on, on what you think the utility is here for these products. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean the, VIX, the VIX ETPs and even the VIX futures themselves that, that underlie VIX ETPs are, they're for sophisticated, Users, institutional users, and, and that's where the where where, where the where the um, you know, the use case it really stands. Now, the obvious one is you, you can be a uh, you, you could be a fund manager with a with an equity portfolio that has a very strong conviction that the, the markets are going to change to be volatile or bearish or whatever your view might be, and you might, for various reasons, not be in a position to change the allocation to equity. Could be a tax realization, gain realization problem, or, or whatever. It might be that getting in and out of a big chunk of equity would just be difficult because some of those equities aren't, aren't as liquid as you need them to be. Or yeah, you know, there, there are many, many cases. The long products are fantastic in this regard, in that you, the, the, you, you can say, "Well, okay, I'm going to go and buy some VIX futures, or I'm going to go and buy a, a, a VIX ETP, and I'm going to hold it for this very short period." where my conviction that we're going to have to go through volatility holds. There might be an hour, there might be a day, or maybe longer. But that, that's sort of the key use of these products. And you'll see some of the popular products, their volume is absolutely unbelievable. You millions of shares trade a day, and it's not that they necessarily have a massive amount of AUM or open interest in the futures example, but it's that people are trading these in today. People are saying, okay, look, we're going into the Fed announcements this is going to be terrible. I need to. I need to own some volatility. Hold it for an hour, sell it, you know, and, and, and walk away again. You know, there's there's, there's a lot of reasons for that, and, and I think we've we, we've you know we see a lot of writing about you know how tail hedging or hedging and, and the use of the, the liquidity when you need it, and, and these products fall into the, that category. They're not they're not investment products at all. They, these are tactically used uh, trading vehicles that are that are used for, by people who understand them in conjunction with the products they already have or the investments they already have. Now, what about the idea of, of just sort of strategically owning a short vol position to capture the roll down in the VIX? Um, what, do you have any, any thoughts on that? Is that- yeah, it, it's, it's a trade that was popular for two or three years, so sort of 2016 until 2018, this was a, this was a, this was a popular trend. So what, what people had realized is that many commodities that have a, a non-flat, say a contangoed uh, future structure, is there's, a, there's an effective, um, some people call it roll yield, some uh, 
many, many carry, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Carry, yeah. But I mean, there's, there's a sort of, you know, you buy a future and then the next day it's slipped down the curve a bit. If nothing has changed, it slipped down the curve a bit, so it devalues. So, you know, this sort of carry trade in the futures world is, is, is relatively common. People realize that the contango in the VIX space can get quite steep. And that's typically in low volatility environments where the short end really drops. And we were seeing numbers in, the, in 2016, 2017, right down the low teens. And this produced quite a lot of this contango. So what people were doing was they were getting short the, 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 the VIX, VIX space, sometimes through ETPs, but also through the futures. Um, so, you know, the most common one would be to sell a long ETP and then and carry that, that, that short. But then also there are short ETPs that exist which allow people to, to buy them and then you know, have the inverse, um, uh, the inverse exposure. Now, that's one of those trades that kind of works and then it really doesn't work. You know, people have talked about picking up uh, pennies in front of a, a steamroller, and it's true. Like, this is, that's not a trade that people should be doing. That, that's a, it's, it's an effect that you can observe. And there are, I would say there are, there are people that on a day-to-day basis who monitor their trades day-to-day or hour, hour by hour can trade that and can make it profitable over the long term. So there, there, is, a, there is an alpha there to, to try and extract. But it's not as simple as, as sort of, oh, I'm going to sell some VIX curve and life's going to be great and you know, it's going to make me money. So, you know, and in fact, I'll, you know, I'll mention the, the other business that we're involved in is managing strat- volatility VIX link strategies for, for individuals. And a lot of what we do is that. Um, there will be times when there is a contango in the curve and the, we will take a short position um, for clients. Now, it's, that's not because it's an easy trade. Um, it's because we do it in a very, a very small and measured amount many, 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 many times. And we play the probability of when the probability say that, that your gains are you know, high enough over your potential losses, putting a small trade on, taking a bit of pickup over and over and over again is, 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 is worthwhile. So now in, in some ways, you, you know, we, we could be we compared more with a, than a, with a CTA type of strategy. You know, we, we're not, we'll both be long vol, short vol, long vol, short vol. It can change in today. It can change in an hour. Um, but, yeah, so, and, and we're not, I guess we're a good example of, of what sophisticated asset managers are doing um, in the VIX space when they think about it as an alpha generator instead of a, of a hedge. So someone was mentioning to me, and I, it might have been you, Stuart, so you can confirm, you can fact check this for me. Someone mentioned that the actual money-weighted returns from the short VIX ETF or ETN with the one that sort of blew up were positive even after the blow up to zero. So that people had been rebalancing them, or that—that that was the rumor. That's the Eric Balchunas, I, I think, said that. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, that was Eric. You're right. Yeah. So we were talking to Eric Balchunas, and he was mentioning even after going to zero, it, if you had done the rebalancing, which, by the way, many investors had actually done, they'd actually taken that premium off the top all the way up. They were profitable on the trade even when it went to zero, and it's—it's it's a really you know tough thing to get your head around, but it's a pretty interesting positive effect for investors yeah i mean i think i think eric i mean i i, I, I my gut says he's right and i'm sure he is but um you know i think what, what, he's, what he's saying put simply is you know if if the, 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 the trade makes money on a lot of days and can lose a lot of money very quickly 
if you keep if you keep rebalancing to the same hundred dollars that you've got in, in there every month or whatever, it's, it's like yeah, you, at the end you lose a hundred dollars, but you know you may have made many multiples in that period. And you know if that's his argument, I think he's he's right. Yeah, yeah. And look, there, there are a lot of investors that do exactly that, um, and in many ways, what we do uh, at Invest Involved is that um, you know, we we encourage investors to have only a very small allocation to what we do. You know, they they've, they um, it, it's it's a very risky strategy. Can be high returning. It's a very risky strategy. It's got to be the kind of thing you you can accept a significant drawdown in, and as you put it, you know, rebalance. Say, okay, that was the bad month. Let's go. You know, do it again. Typically, as you say, adding adding a tiny bit of a highly volatile, non correlated asset reduces the portfolio's uh, volatility and increases can potentially increase the return. I mean, that is the magic. Yeah, What's that that's quote, how you Rob? generate uh, the rebalancing yeah, premium, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sufficiently advanced diversification is indistinguishable from magic. <laughs> that's right. Pirating or Arthur Clark. Yeah, that's right. Um, I just um, find yeah, no, we, the idea, ahead, Rob, sorry, just, it is just the idea of telling people that, um, you know, when you talk about these products and they ask you, so what do you think of it? I'm like, I think it's uh, expected long-term return of shorting volatility of negative 100% maybe more if you're if your downside isn't cap why would i invest in it i'm like why wouldn't you right? you just walk them through it right and you go you go through 10 years of making positive returns as long as you're scalping it long enough when it goes to zero you rebuy that's when you have a premium as you see premium again as long as you do that you're good the problem is putting 100% of your retirement assets in a single short volatility fund and thinking that that 60% annualized rate of return is going to continue. Not advice. Yeah. <laughs> Not advice. Not advice. Yeah. Hey, I can't tell you to do that, and I can't tell you not to do that. Not to do yeah. That. Don't do it. Again, yeah. I'm not a ball doctor, nor do I play one on television. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, so, Stuart, you've mentioned a few times that you um, run an active volatility trading business as well so maybe tell us a little bit more about that maybe yeah go into that when did you start that why did you start that and um then i actually would love to get into some of the mechanics yeah so that's um i think that we started in 2016 um so that's we've been running that for some time um that 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 business started at a at sort of a it was at, the, at that sort of run-up in interest um, in in the short vol trade. So what I noticed was there were a great number of sort of like Twitter experts and whatever who, you know, a bit like the, the Wall Street memes stuff, you know, it's like, oh, this is a gold mine. I found a way you can make money. You know, there's, there's loads of these pennies in the steamroller. It's not moving very fast. And it was quite obvious that there was a, there was, a, there was an opportunity there to step in and say, well, hang on, guys. You've, you, there is something there, but very, very possibly. But it's quite likely that you don't understand what you're doing. So I, you know, to go register as an investment advisor, formalize it, do it properly, give people professional advice. One, make sure they understand what, what's happening before we even have this, you know, before we even get involved. And, you know, if that hasn't scared them off, um, you know, Make them understand that it's a you know it's something that they might want to put a small fraction of their investments in, etc. Um, and that's what the business grew out of. So, Investment Boy was a 
was a partnership between myself and my, my partner, uh, Justin Young. Justin's background had been in um, had been in the ETF business. He'd worked at uh, Global X uh, ETFs, and he had um, before that he'd worked at, at the NYSE. And um, and yeah, he, he, I think he, he he saw the he saw the space as well as, as being interesting and and, and growing. So um, so we went, went down that route. You know, given his background, it didn't take long before we started thinking about the ETF space, as, as you might imagine. And you know, my vol background in this ETF, you know, and that's what led us to to the to the later um, to the later businesses. But yeah, Investable's grown over the years. Um, we you know, mainly our clients are high net wealth individuals. If I gave you a you know, typical client is you know fifty five years old, he's got you know fifteen million dollars, and he he gives us you know five hundred thousand dollars or something. Um, you know, as part of that, as part of his investment strategy, um, it, it, it's been a very interesting business. I would say ninety percent of our clients are come to us already very well informed. So the, the, the typical guy is, I've made a lot of money in the in the small space over the years, but I've lost a lot of money as well. I've decided I need to go back to my day job. I want somebody to follow a systematic strategy because I believe that it's going to make me money. But I can't be sitting with my phone while I'm trying to be in meetings and stuff. So, you know, people that have people that have done it for a few years realize it's it's you've got it's got to be active. You've got to have a you know full time uh, portfolio management team on it. You've got to have a systematic approach, um, and you've got to understand the product. And um, so, yeah, that, that's normally where our, uh, our 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 clients come from. And, so what, what instruments do you trade in that strategy? Is it is just the futures or are you also trading options? Or are you trading some of the volatility products? What you- so we, we actually um, decided to go along the, the, the route of the RIA rather than being CFTC registered and, and being a CTA. So we actually trade the, um, the, the ETFs and ETNs instead of trading the futures. So there's a few reasons for that. Um, one, I think people are generally... Well, the people that come to us generally very aware of and have traded the equity products. Very few will come to us and say, "Oh, I've been trading these futures." You know, it's 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 that they they know the equity products and they 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 comfortable they comfortable trading them. So we started out uh, trading the, the the popular ETNs that were available at the time, um, and then over the years we've we've as these ETNs have either disappeared or changed. Or the ETFs have changed leverage. We've we've had to adjust, but in general, we trade we trade all of them. Um, we basically go for whatever's the most efficient way for the clients to get the exposure that we are trying to get for them. Um, and unfortunately, the, the ETFs are typically the ETFs are typically very liquid. You know, the, you'll, you'll see from the the, the, the the big the older ones, the, the, you know, millions of shares trading a day, and it's. They've got advantages over the futures in, in many ways. For interday trading, the, the tick size is normally one cent, the futures five cents. Um, yeah, so there's the, 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 there's advantages, but yeah, we we stick to the ETPs not, and we don't use the futures. We use options on the ETPs uh, as part of a hedging hedging process, and also sometimes to to get our uh, our delta exposure through the options. Sometimes borrow becomes becomes difficult or expensive, and we may may use options. But yeah, so we use a blend of ETPs and the and the ETP options. It's worth also mentioning, and maybe you can walk people through how this works, but um, the the ETF indices or the, the vol indices that, that you just launched with, um, they they roll on a daily basis to maintain a fixed maturity, right? 
And so maybe just talk about how that works. What is that maturity and why do you do that? Yeah, so um, I think one way to think about uh, these fixed futures indexes, both the ones we've, we, um, we use and also uh, previous earlier ones, is that they try and maintain a roughly 30-day average maturity of future. So you start out with month one and month two, and every day you're rolling your futures forward into the, into the month two until month two becomes month one, and you start out in month three, and then you've got one or two again, and off you go. And that's advantageous. Um, it, it, it sort of gives you a, an exposure that's similar to having a blend of month one and month two. It gives you, a, uh, it gives you an exposure that is um, more consistent um, in that if you just hold front month future, it sort of acts differently when it's first, uh, when the 30 days to expire, then it would if there's one day to expire. So this this way you've never you've never got a big exposure to, to the expiring future, and you're already uh, you're always rolling it rolling it forward. So so the indexes um, define that in a way that it's sort of one divided by the number of business days you know, per per month that you, you're rolling the, the, the notional um, forward, um, and the and the ETPs that, that track them um, do exactly that. So they they would just follow that, that that index methodology exactly right and so what what some people may not understand about the um the vix futures is that as the futures uh, get closer and closer to um needing to roll or you know maturity of that futures contract that it trades more and more like spot right so if you're sort of if, if, if there's whatever, 20 days to, to maturity of that contract, then there's a lot of basis. So the, the ball of the actual VIX index is moving a lot more than the um, actual ball futures is, right? But as you move closer and closer to expiry of that future, the um, future begins to trade more and more like ball and gets more and has more volatile or more beta to the underlying VIX index, right? So what you're trying Delta. to do is is maintain that that sort of linear exposure to, or you know, mostly linear exposure to the underlying VIX, keep that constant so people can, you know, it's, it's easier to model and you don't get the same, quite the same level of jump risk and stuff that you sometimes get as the index moves closer to maturity, right? Is, is, there, a, is there an average number of days that you're sort of sitting in most yeah, of the time. Twenty is yeah. Twenty. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That. yeah it's, well, no. It's, it's about it's about it's about thirty oh, days. You've got days, you think there's about thirty days between yeah. each future, yeah. and you. Yeah, I mean, so the CBO, CBOE did did some research on this some time ago and published it on their on, on their big site. Um, and I think they talked about it as, as in terms of beta. You know, sort of like the, the VIX futures beta to the to, to the VIX. Um, now, now, so there's a you know some people. You perhaps forget, but you know the VIX is not an investable index. It's it's a it's a calculated number. Um, yeah, you know, there are some very sophisticated ways to dynamically reproduce it, but not really not not in a you know not in a sustainable trackable way. So there's uh, the best you can kind of do is say, well, I'll trade a future that's going to settle to the VIX. But now, as you point out, if the settlement's going to happen in one hour, my future is going to move almost. You know perfectly with with the VIX, but when it's got a month out, the VIX could go up and the future could go down. You know, it, it's it, the the reality is it could say, well, we're going through a very volatile period now because something's happening, but that happening is disappearing tomorrow. So we expect in a month 
it's not going to be as volatile. So we, we, we do see that. And we, I think there's some, I think discomfort or unhappiness from investors when they, they, they all say, well, but I want, you know, I want the VIX. I saw the VIX was up 7% now. I want, I want that. And you say, well, that's unfortunately you can't have. You can use the VIX as kind of an idea to tell you that implied volatility has gone up or down. But you, if you want something to trade, you really need to go, you know, primarily futures and then from futures into the ETPs that hold the futures. But you can't, you can't trade the, um, you can't trade the VIX itself. And yeah, as you point out, the, the reason that these indexes have this rolling is, is, is for a couple of reasons. You wouldn't want your index to roll all of its futures in one day. That would be a, you know, that would be a nightmare if, if, if you ever try to track it with a, with a big fund. Um, but also, as you point out, it gives you this more stable beta to the VIX. There's a, mm-hmm. you know, it's, 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 it's not as exciting as having a one-day future, but it's not as boring as having a, a three-month future either. Well, yeah, I mean, so let's talk about that, how boring that three-month future is. Because, you know, <laughs> we, we've chatted about this online on, on several occasions, right? But, you know, it, it, it always seems so strange to me. Like, why, especially on the short side, why don't investors prefer rolling a, you know, a 60-day index or a 90-day index? I mean, if, if you evaluate the long-term performance on a risk-adjusted basis of those longer-term indices, they're actually considerably better than, than rolling the front month. But you said that the that investors just they really just like juice, right? So, you know, they're – anyways, say more about that. What's, been, what's your experience with that? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The, 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 there have been, and there still are, products that, have, that, are, that, that um, track those middle, you know, those middle months, um, months three through five and beyond, and they've never been popular. You know, it's, yeah, there's a little bit of interest to to purists. You know, we we we, we love them. It's, it's a it's quite a it's quite a neat thing. You kind of get the sort of exposure that you get from the front months, so that. That's great, but you know, without the sort of you know, you know, blows your pants off kind of like you know moves that you get every. It, it's just a, it's it's sort of a more gentlemanly kind of a, kind of approach. I the reasons why people haven't adopted them as much, I think, m- must be around your you know what, what you what you're saying, your point, and I think it's about capital efficiency. And you know, we talked about having a very small exposure to this stuff. I think we've in a world where people are like, well, you know, I'm going to put three percent, five percent of my in this. You know, I may, if, if I'm going to do it at all, I, I want to get enough of it. I want to get as much as I can for my three percent. So you, you kind of go, you kind of go in the shorter end. Because I suspect that, that I suspect that's what what it is. Yeah, it's kind right. of like the same observation on when you think about risk parity and the idea of getting a lever bond exposure. You you see a lot more like thirty year. Uh, ETFs or 30 year futures contracts being used rather than levering up the very short term uh, treasury, which gives you a higher sharp ratio, right? It's just yeah. capital efficiency. It's the idea you have a cap of like high risk instruments in your portfolio that can't exceed more than 5%. So that real estate, that portfolio real estate could be, you know, really crucial and uh, more juice is better, especially mm-hmm. in a non levered portfolio, right? Well, I also I also wonder, Adam, when you looked at the research on those longer term and Stuart, your experience with looking at that, do the returns occur at those moments of maximum equity pain, or are they a little bit different? So, well, it depends you know, on what structures, to right? But right, structures not, shift a little so bit for, but, for for tail hedge approaches. Right. 
Right. They're more for if you just want to if you just want to take advantage of roll down and have a, a much much lower probability of total loss, right? Right. Then rolling the sixty day or the ninety day is is um, typically, you know, a much better risk reward type of equation. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you want if you want just till hedge juice and store it again, I would defer to you on this, of course. But um, then that obviously you, you you want more beta to the VIX spot. Yeah, that has been that's been my experience. That it comes down to these are alternatives that people may add to a more traditional portfolio. I think it's difficult to get people to break out, of, you know, and allocate a big chunk because they have to allocate away from something else. So, bringing a high efficiency product seems to be more popular, and that you know that I think would be a solid argument for for why why people do it. I mean. I think the similar question comes to you know, why are the two times leveraged VIX ETPs? Why, why have they always been so so popular? And you know, the, the volume that trades in those things is tremendous, uh, and the AUM has always been good. Um, and I think it's you know, it's the same reason. It's like, well, I want to have some VIX exposure. You know, how much how much do I want to deallocate in order to get my VIX exposure? And, you know, if you, if you go for the more leveraged products, you, you get that exposure more easily. I think I think that's a you know, yeah. I mean, again, I get it. I, I especially get it on the long side, right? Because it, the other advantage to the ETPs is that you um, you can't lose more than one hundred percent, right? So it's um, you know the 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 issuer, I guess, backs that, or there are. We'll talk more uh, about that, Adam. Why is that the case? Why can you lose if you go straight futures? It's a, it's different than using an ETP. Well, I mean, what Stuart, Maybe you can you can say something about that. Well, I mean, it's simply the, the the neat thing about it, if you you buy an equity product, you know, you you buy it, you can lose your money. You can you know, if you buy it fifty bucks, you can go to zero, so you've lost fifty bucks. The the interesting or the concerning thing about people who then take short positions, and particularly short positions in commodity futures and fixed futures, and whatever it is. How much can you lose? And I think it's you know that that's that's an absolute unknown. So, you know, one of the strong arguments I think for in, you know, why why do you have inverse products in the market? Why that, that seems like counter to the whole you know capital development or whatever. Well, interestingly, there are reasons, and we we've discussed some of them already. But there are reasons why someone may choose to take a short position. There are better ways to take short positions than say I'm just going to short a long ETP or short a future. Which theoretically could go to any number, as, and you know, in some of these ETPs we've seen, you know, ETNs, lo- you know, lose track and, and go to, you know, go, go to levels that nobody would would have expected. Yeah, um, yeah you don't want to be short. <laughs> so you're right. Yeah, being on the being on the long side of an inverse product, it's like if everything went wrong, you know, at least your broker's not phoning you saying you've got to make a deposit, you know, into your cash account. <laughs> How did that happen? Who's on the hook exactly. for, for that, though? I mean, it, with the asset manager who is dealing in these futures contracts can lose more than what... You know, it's mean, like, very uncomfortable talking about that. Well, I mean, so, so we, 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 we play a conservative um, role in, in, in when we manage a short vol position. So, so we'll take, as invest in vol, as, a, as an asset manager of other people's money, we would take a... Uh, We'll take a position. When we take a short vol position, we will do one of two things. Either we will buy an ETP that is inverse, knowing that, you know, nuclear bomb goes off, it goes to zero, but, you know, 
that's it. Or if that's not possible, and, it, and there are times when that isn't possible, at the very least, if you're going to take a short position, take a short position with a call option cap, right. so that you know that you you've, you 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 covered. I mean, I I have heard some horror stories about people being short, naked short vol. You see people on Twitter and elsewhere. Um, you know, that's not a game we want to play. Uh, you know, I, I have, I, I've also heard stories about people that have, you know, had their accounts liquidated once they've gone negative by the brokers. And, you know, not, I don't know the legal ramifications, but, I, you know, I suspect the next step is the broker says you owe them this money. You don't, you know, then they point to page 73 of the, the agreement, which says you owe them the money and then the lawyers phone you. So it's, yeah, I, I, it sounds pretty horrible to me. Well, I think where Rod's going though is if you've got if you've got an inverse VIX product, then that inverse VIX product can go to zero on the event of a dramatic enough VIX spike. But that VIX spike could be so large that in fact the the loss is more than hundred percent, right? So I guess in that in that case, the you know, who eats the rest of the loss? Who eats the excess loss since the uh, ETF holders don't? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 an interesting one. It, it's something that's that's managed behind the scenes, uh, you know, in the way that the, the ETF has to be managed and risk managed. But you know, ultimately, that 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 has to take place, you know, behind the scenes. Unfortunately, I can't give you detail about it. But uh, yeah. It, yeah, I mean, it, the, at the end of the day, we have to make as a, as an issuer have to make sure that the interests of the investor are taken care of. You know, behind that, you know, we, yes, there are institutions and professionals that may be taking, you know, taking risk in, in, in the background. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a I mean, you, 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 no, no doubt I've seen it in the news, but, um, you know, you, you may have seen the recent story about Barclays and the, and the, you know, the problems they're having with their, with their, pro, their product. You know, the, if the news is, and I have obviously no inside information on this. I, I used to work there many years ago, but haven't for years. Um, you know, if the news is to believe, they've got a they've got a six hundred million dollar loss. You know, on a on a on a platform which has many products on it, but on a platform that I would I guess probably you know made a fraction of that over the years. So, I mean, yeah, I mean behind the scenes, there's there's a lot you know there's a lot going on. Um, but with the ETNs, it's easy, right? The bank takes the loss. Um, but with the ETFs, uh, I guess it's a bit more, um, a bit more of a mystery, which is which is fair. Um, okay, so I, I actually really want to get into um, how exactly you are trading um, vol with your investable business. So, for example, um, to whatever extent you're willing to sort of share some of the basic trading strategies that you employ, um, I think our viewers would be very interested in learning some more about that. Yeah. So, so we, um, I guess at the very highest level, uh, what we look to do is to um, extract any sort of risk premium or that, that may, may be available in these, these VIX ETPs. And what we do or what we've done is we've had a look at the, the, the historic data um, in VIX futures and VIX ETPs. And we've come up with a probability-based model, which looks at a series of factors, that says if this is the case, this is the probability that the product will increase or decrease in value the following day. 
we've, we do this across um, approximately 30 factors, and then we weight these factors. And the, the way to think about it is if, if you think you can identify something that's likely, you know, let's say even if it's a 52% chance of making you a dollar and a 48% chance of losing you a dollar, if you can just play that game often enough for long enough and just keep making those extra cents every single time. And, that, and that's, what we tr- that's what we try and do with, 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 with the probability. So our strategy has significant drawdowns. Our, our uh, largest drawdown has, has been in the, in the 30% um, range. And that it, sometimes that takes place over several months. But for those that have been invested with us for a long time, they understand that this probability means, yeah, you, you, know, you can win, 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 lose, 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 win, win, lose. The game, though, is to you know, just win on the probabilities over the, over the long time. So it's probability-driven. Um, we, we are very active. You know, we, we trade um, probably five times a day. We, we, are, we are changing our position. Um, yeah, we, we, it's, if I gave you some examples of, of some of the indicators we use, and, and the, some of them are, are quite common to even, even simple strategies, is the shape of the contango curve, for instance. Yeah, I think people have realized when the curve is in one particular shape, the, the VIX futures are more or less likely to go up or down in value. You know, that, that, that's one that it you know, can nudge the probabilities in your favor slightly. Unfortunately, with that one, it's typically that you need to be short VIX futures, which means you have this, prob- this chance that you get a win-win-win big loss. So, so you have to manage that. The other, the other one, which um, is a very strong indicator for us, is the rate at which the VIX futures move in relation to the index, the S&P 500 moving. So, you know, many people will say, well, there's, a, there's a, almost a hard-coded uh, link between these two things, and what they're talking about is a kind of skew delta that, that, that exists. There's a, um, the, the VIX is not a fixed strike. It's a floating strike calculation. So the act of monies that it's using move as the S&P moves, and there's typically a skew in the S&P options market. Lower strike puts are typically uh, marked on a or trade on a higher uh, volatility than implied volatility than, than, than upside calls. So as VIX goes, as spot goes down in S and P, the VIX tends to go up, even if volatility actually hasn't changed. You're sort of like there's no new information. Just S and P went down a percent. You say, well, VIX went up. Did things get more volatile? Possibly not. Possibly we just tracked where options were already marked, and we and we, we often see that, and we will. We'll, we see the situation where, um, you know, the VIX will be inversely correlated to the S&P, you know, most days. We, we, we sort of get used to that. And then, of course, we get the days when that doesn't happen. People go, oh, the VIX is broken because it, it, you know, something's different has happened. But really what's happened on those something different has happened days is uh, vol has actually moved. It's not just you've followed the skew curve. It's you followed the skew curve, but the skew curve moved. Vol actually went up or down. Um, and that's the days when you know we get reach outs from people, clients, and say, "Well, why does the VIC doesn't work today?" Or you know. um, so the, the rate at which those two move with one another is quite important, and um, and we monitor that. So that's a, that's a strong indicator for us. Um, you know, as you might imagine, if if you see the VIX moving quite quickly, as you see the S and P coming off, it's typically an indicator that people are under-hedged, nervous, they're going in buying options, buying downside protection. 
that's normally a sign that we'll see a continuation in 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 in, in the uh, in the VIX products picking up in price. Now, and I'll give you an interesting story. So we we've very recently had January, February. We we had two drawdown months, and we haven't had as big a drawdown for, for several several years. But you know, we did, and um, and clients were asking us, uh, you know, why were we not longer volatility going into the sort of things that were going on in Ukraine and, and elsewhere. And what was interesting about that period, and there's many people have commentated on this already, is unlike the COVID period or other periods where we've seen really stressed markets, volatility actually didn't pick up as much as one might have expected mm-hmm. for the drawdown we saw in the equity markets. So what our models were saying was, yeah, you know, okay, vol's going to go up a bit, but this isn't, this isn't, you know, a, a, this isn't crisis levels. Um, you know, we, we had clients asking us that very question. You know, this feels like a crisis. You know, why are we not going long volatility? Why do you guys seem to be persistently have a small short allocation to volatility? And, you know, we'd have to tell them, you know, you know crisis with VIX in the 50s, 60s, 70s, yes. You know, VIX at 35? You know, that's, that's just, you know, long-term averages are, you know, 20, something like this. Just because you got used to VIX at 10 or 12 or something doesn't mean that 35 is crisis. Well, Um, the other thing is, too, that we started from much higher levels, right? The VIX never came down down. to the levels that we saw sort of pre-COVID, right? It sort of always hovered in that 20 range. Um, Yeah. So you just don't have that same potential pickup on long positions. And And we might be in a healthier space, right? Yes, absolutely. Exactly. I was going to ask, and... I know that the VIX product didn't launch in like 2004, 2005, but I've always been curious to know what type of vol- the VIX volatility would have existed during the 2000 and 2003 kind of traditional, mostly growth equity bear market, right? Where you're seeing a rotation away from growth towards value. So not every element of the, of the uh, asset class is going down. There weren't any really aggressive, well, there were a few between 2000 and 2003, obviously. But there's there was like, I think I counted... 11 you know buy the dip opportunities but they never if you look at the chart they don't seem the vast majority of them are just kind of blah right probably just like a slightly highly elevated vix if it had existed back then do you have you analyzed that that period and you have any like any yeah so there's there's a few there's a few and and in general yes i i agree with you we've looked at we've looked at some synthetic data about our strategy going back Vance Harwood, if, if anybody knows him, um, we've done work with over the years, is, is very good at, at sort of calculating things before they really existed by, you know, synthetically extracting um, the, the, the calculation. Um, so the, the few things that we're aware of that um, means it's, it's tricky to put too much weight uh, on these things. One is... The existence of an instrument often changes the way it may have traded. Now, you know, the, the, the arrival of VIX futures changed one's access to the volatility space and would have changed VIX. So there's people say, oh, but VIX moves VIX futures. VIX goes up and VIX futures track it. Well, well okay, that, that's, that's an, an analysis. But what about the argument that says people are trading the VIX futures? They're going to print where people print them. And that flows through to hedges in the S&P 500 market, which people spread through time, which impacts where the VIX is calculated from. 
Now, of course, one is not right and neither is the other, but they have an impact on one another. And for that reason, it's very difficult to say, particularly during extremes, when you get when you get a move, what would have actually happened? Because the VIX futures are a, are a kind of a unique product. They're a, they're a way to buy implied volatility without having a gamma exposure. Now, there was something, or there still is, but there was a popular product that I used to make a lot of markets in back in the day um, that does that, the variant swap. Um, but this, that was something that you know institutions were trading and that, that people had an availability to. The, the you know the VIX future came in and it changed it changed the, the way people had access to the market and to the market in a different way. It had access you had to now buy implied without having the without having the gamma. You know what have you what have you actually created here? So that's why it's it's, it's difficult to to make a solid judgment from yeah the, the reflexive nature of of markets period right. yeah and something yeah. something as volatile as the VIX is probably going to have much more pronounced effects, right? So whatever we do in the analysis in that period is probably moot, not necessarily indicative. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, it probably gives you, gives you some ideas. I mean, the other, the other thing is obviously the creation of the, of the VIX ETPs, which, which again changed the way people uh, interact, the fact that they roll so that they, they sort of bolting you know, month one and month two futures together in a certain way that causes them to react in a certain way. Um, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's, a lot, there's a lot to, to unpack in, in that data if you, if you have it. Um, what about the relationship between spot and um, futures at different points along the curve? Have you noticed if there's any information? You, you mean sort of the changing in, the, in beta between you know, different different futures and, and spot VIX? I mean, like um, I know S and P, for example, have um, um, volatility indices, which is you know there's the VIX and then there's the three month. The three oh right, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Kind of stuff, right? So those sort of spot VIX indices versus you know so the spot three month VIX versus the, the three month out VIX futures, right? Those are, do you do you use the spot indices or or you know information from the spot market as well as information from from the futures market to generate your trading signals we look at it uh it doesn't give us a very strong signal um the reason is um the longer dated the, the longer dated measures are much more sort of measures of of vega in the options market and are much more controlled by whatever the institutional flows are out there at the time um, in terms of the you know, movements of, of actual realized volatility in the short dates, I think the short dated products tell us a lot more about that. So with, with an option, a very short dated option has got a lot of gamma and not much vega on it. So, you know, it's very um, sensitive to movements up and down in spot. Longer dated options are, are much more about, you know, just the implied volatility of the vega and very little about the, the realized volatility. So, for that reason, when we, it is certainly part of our, um, you know, our library of, 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 of things we look at. But you know, it's a lot of what we look at is, is are these these short data things. I mean, there's there's um there's some interesting new ones which you may have seen, um, which we we look at again, but not, it's not a very strong signal for us. Things like these gamma indexes that people have people have put together. Mm-hmm. Now, the idea with this is it's, it's trying to guess what dealers, how dealers are positioned. Is a 
you know, are we in a pool where dealers are terribly short? And if they're terribly short gamma over this period, is it going to mean that they're going to be grasping and, 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 and re- rebalancing their, um, their books? making Amplifying volatility in both directions. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. And amplifying. So, you know, things like that might be interesting, I think, and we, we keep monitoring them. Our problem with some of those indexes is, is the way they calculate it is that there's often the weaknesses in the calculations about Way making guesses about who's on which side of the trade, and yeah. exactly if you, you know if you say, well, it, it always trades on the side of the dealer side of the, the but it, you know of course it doesn't, and you, and you also have this problem with um, you know OTC positions that sit out there. Big banks have large positions that they have with clients. They then hedge them with OTC transactions with other banks, and then this position gets moved around, and you just don't know it's there. You know the, right. the old Berkshire Hathaway trade that was. Put on years ago, and you know that just, just nowhere near where we trade these days. But you know, just a massive chunk. It's something you know, something like a gamma index wouldn't wouldn't have a clue that it's there until you ran into it, and then it'd be like, exactly. So, yeah. keep now, what about the volatility risk premium, or so-called? Where um, are you looking at the difference between um, like current historical vol of, of spot S and P versus implied? And you know that that delta gives you some information about which side of the VIX contracts you want to be on. Absolutely, yeah. So um, we we look at we look at things that will tell us uh, the probability of it going in, in our direction or, or which direction we think it may go in, and then we look at things which measure the potential size of the game. And on the game side, you've got uh, two types of premium that I think about. One is volatility risk premium. And one is futures risk premium. Volatility risk premium is what most people think about as implied versus uh, realized. So, you know, you often see implied trading above realized. Sometimes it can get quite extreme. You know, we've, we've had days when very low volatility, three or four vol realized, implied still sitting at, you know, 15. There's obviously this risk premium. If you, if you chose to be short, Short options, short straddles, for instance, and you delta hedge them close to close. In that situation, you you'd probably be um, be making money. So that that's volatility risk premium. And then on top of that, you've got this VIX futures premium, which which exists, which is VIX futures often trade at prices above VIX. You know that they're either VIX is going to the future or futures coming to the VIX, but ultimately there's convergence and there's a premium there. So looking at those two premiums help us decide if it's sort of 80% chance of a move in a particular direction plus those premiums are very large so the potential gain might be very large. You get to a point of saying, well, then it's a trade we want to be in in you know, 50% allocation or 20, you know, it'll, the allocation would go up as the, as the probability of, of gain size increases. Gotcha. And you're primarily trading the, the, uh, the front month ETPs, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that, that we, only, we, only, we only trade the front months. Yeah, gotcha. Do you well, find any value? And it is one question about these big flows, um, these large mutual funds that have a hedging schedule on a quarterly basis, right? Things like JP Morgan's equity hedge, and I'm sure there are others that got way too big, way way too quick. Is that an area that is very clear to our about and participate and, and find opportunities, or are they too are they smart enough to kind of obscure what well, I think the good man, I mean, obviously a lot of this has, has, occurs today and has occurred over the years. So there's, there's a few things go, goes on. One, good execution means that it can, it can get around a lot of that. There's, you know, 
big block trades you can give over to you know, big execution discs that are willing to take it off you at a risk price and all sorts of things so that, that allow it to be dispersed into the market electronically over a period of time. But the other thing is that it, it, you start with the most sophisticated end of the market, but if, if those, that sophisticated end of the market knows about it, there's sort of this like, well, they get ahead of it to try and arbit, and then the next guy's getting ahead of it. So it's like, well, okay, we expect to rebalance on the close. Nothing happened. Damn, what happened? Oh, well, everybody front ran it this afternoon, and then actually somebody front ran the day before. So it was actually went the other way. You know, it's like we, we should have seen a big spike on the close. It went down. That's because, yeah, everybody over front running. You know, I think right. that there's, a, there's an essence of that. So when we get the ones that we see in the press, uh, I think at that point it's probably going to be an overdone situation, right? It's, yeah. Right. yeah, that's yeah. Good. It's, it's, it's one big game of Michael Lewis's bullshit poker. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of the reasons that when you develop the indexes that the, <laughs> keeping a little bit of ambiguity in the rebalance is, is, is absolutely key. If you, if you make it, if you tell somebody, I'm rebalancing this, everything that's linked to this index is rebalancing there. It doesn't take a genius to say, oh, that's, that, that fund is very big. That fund's got, let me do a quick cap. Oh, yeah, okay, let me see. What, what can I do about this? Maybe I should maybe buy ahead of it. You know, And it's very likely that on Feb 5th, we saw exactly that. And, you know, as many people speculated, including myself, that, that that may have been the case. But you can avoid that by saying, yeah, we'll rebalance over a period. And if we think we're having a market impact, we may extend that period. Now the the the... the, the the, uh, anybody who wants to try and front run it's in the situation of going, have they extended? <laughs> well, if they're not extended, <laughs> maybe they have, maybe they haven't. Have. So, you well, know, the, the sort of free money is not there. Well, do you so remember how was um, the. So, go on. I was just wondering, how was working through that with the regulators? Can you comment on any of that? Is that too sensitive or was it, was it like, did they get it? Was it something that you had to really work diligently through? What was, what was their uptake on that? Because it, Seems to, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I, you know, it's obviously, you know, sort of a confidential interactions that we, we, well, we have with regulators. But, but, you know, I can, I can speak in general. I think the, the regulators are aware that there's, there are issues with fund, large funds and rebalances. They're aware that possibly uh, some methodologies aren't as good as others. And that, you know, that I think we're going to need, you know, we're going to re- need to rethink some of the methodologies. There's a lot of funds that you know, some of these are mutual funds that you know, designed such a long time ago. That very simple methodology is like you know you you write up what you wanted to do quickly and then off you go. And then you think, oh damn! When we said we were going to rebalance on the close, we didn't ever think we were going to earn X percent of the the float of the stock. Damn! You know this is going to be tricky. Um, or you know changing, you know, bringing a new stock into an index and ending up. You know, so I think the regulators are aware of that. Um, yeah, I mean, so, I, so the flex, the flexibility is is reflected in their in their looking yeah. at approvals and the new approvals that are coming through, whatever they be. I think so. Uh, there's I, a I much think, more there's more a, a larger larger bandwidth and, and tolerance for. I mean, there's there's a million ways to skin the cat, but I think the the, the 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 thing is we are always going to have to evolve if we try and stick with what we were doing ten years ago. We are going to run into trouble. It's a it's a it's a game of you know people looking continually looking for ways to find a cheap profit out of out of a, out of something like that. So 
um, I think keeping keeping evolving. And I think what we've heard from the regulators so far, you know, maybe we've we've heard criticisms about how slow they move, but I mean, they, they, they've got they've got a lot kind of a lot of problems going on, or a lot of things that, that are concerning them. Um, and, you know, trying to my experience has been that they are they are good at allowing innovative players to propose solutions. Like, I, you know, I, I must say um, all my interactions over the you know, 20 years that I've worked with, with regulators in different ways is they, they're definitely not there to tell you what you should do and whether and to, to approve or disapprove any particular way of doing it. I think what they're there to do is make sure that um, the markets evolve in a sensible fashion and that, that they're allowed to because, you know, everybody thinks, we all think we're sort of clever, but there's always the next clever idea. And I think they, they know that as well as anyone. Yeah, and all this, uh, you know, rules-driven ETFs or even rules-driven SMAs that are very transparent and get too big for their own bridges, they can get into a lot of trouble. I, I remember Good Harbor, uh, F-squared, you remember those guys? Rebalancing on a monthly basis. They got so big they had to trade on a certain date because those were the rules and they just got front run to death. It, it was brutal to watch, right? So you got to evolve uh, the rules. I mean, it seems reasonable, right? Here are your rules. You wrote them down. Follow them religiously. But it's interesting. It's I mean, a lot of worse for the unit holders if you do it that a, way. A lot of a lot of there's been a lot of folks on like tracking error and and, and whatever. And, and now the thing is, a, a lot of people track an index, and the index you know samples the price or samples in a particular way, and it it could put a a fund manager portfolio manager into a into an odd situation where even if it has market impact. They could, at least they can claim it had zero. They've had zero slippage on. That's zero. And, and, and that's a bit sad because you know, well, I moved the market ten percent, but I nailed the index. You go, yeah, because you pushed the index up ten percent. <laughs> so I think it's got to be it's got to be flipped around and say, well, that's not good for investors. Like just printing it up there just because you know you matched your index isn't isn't, isn't a great idea. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I think there's as we've seen some some very large funds grow. Um, I can only imagine that we're going to see more pressure on, on, on funds to have more innovative ways to, to, to do this. Um, you know, yeah. we, have a, we have a different way. You know, hopefully that evolution is going to continue. Excellent. What are some of the other maybe um, VIX product opportunities out there, do you think? Stuart, is there anything on your radar that you might want to work on next? Yeah, I mean, we, we, I think there are. I think there are a few. Um, I, I mean, I say there's one that I will. I like, but I don't think it would be, you know, commercially worth um, building. And that the, the old there was a, a midterm short short VIX midterm um, product that, that was managed by a large bank that was retired, um, which you know, we were talking about. The, you know, the, the, the potential returns from holding it. It's it's not particularly. Um, it's not particularly volatile. Um, yeah, it does it does need to be managed and monitored? But it, it, it's it's quite an interesting product. The, the it, it, I love it. I think it's a fantastic product. I would you know I'd, I'd have it in my own PA accounts kind of thing. It, it's it's a it's a great it's a great product. But it just it just it doesn't inspire enough people. So so it, it, you know you're stuck in this. It's like well, we could we could you know you could create it, launch it, and then lose money on it every year. But it's a great product, so you. So yeah, 
Jim Carroll is in the in the messages here with the ETF uh, oh, right. being, ref, being referred to here. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's those. I, I think there's, there's there are spaces, and I think what watch you know watch what what we bring next. We've got um, we've probably got three more uh, three more ETFs to bring to market this year, um, and you know they are innovative ways of doing stuff that I think the market wants. Um, so it should be should be an exciting year. Awesome. Awesome. I think it's going to be a volatile decade, so it should be fun, a fun ride. Uh, <laughs> inflation volatility? The inflation of volatility? Yeah. Volatility of inflation? I don't know. It all gets so confusing. <laughs> all right. Well, Bitcoin, Bitcoin vol. I mean, somebody's going to be better. There we go. There we go. Let's get a VIX on the on the old Bitcoin cycle. Yeah. Right? I, mean, I think there's people have people have done have created the indexes and whatever. There's, you know, there's been work done done out there. I think that that one will be a that one will be a challenge for the regulators. Oh, Can you imagine? I'm I'm in line for that one. Give me that's a humdinger. Give me the crypto index. Well, two, two times two times Bitcoin. Two times Bitcoin. <laughs> We need the Bitcoin <laughs> Oklahoma hedge, right? Yeah. <laughs> long, tall, the, the short quadruple long. <laughs> <laughs> All the legs are long. Absolutely, uh, I love it. Well, on that, guys, it's been uh, it's been sort of an hour and a quarter. Is uh, uh, shall we leave it there? Yeah, yeah. Well, we covered yeah, a lot of ground. We sure yeah. did. Th- and Stuart's been uh, thank you. You've been amazing. The insight. Well, thank you, thank you for fantastic. having me. I mean, uh, you're talk, you know, talking about my favorite subject. I'm a pretty, pretty boring person. Talk, let's, let's talk about volume. Think beer. I have not found that story. You know what? We, we, we actually have to get... can get a lot. We actually have to get a studio on island so that we can do these in person rather than yeah. all be uh, in our own separate bedrooms. We could all just hang out at one of the bars and set up a, you know, set up a camera yep. or something. Yeah, we'll do that next Instead time. of all being sure. in separate bedrooms, we could all be in one bedroom. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. Uh, always thinking. <laughs> always thinking. Cue the music, Ani. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, wait, wait. Oh. Stuart, where can everybody find you? Uh, well, it, uh, invest in vol, www.investinvol.com, but also uh, volatility shares, www.volatilityshares.com. And uh, any Twitter handles or stuff like that you've got as well? You post. I'm volatility on Twitter. I must say, though, I'm not. Uh, I'm not very active on Twitter, unfortunately. But uh, maybe one okay. day I will become more. You're definitely <laughs> you a bit of a boring Twitter follower. I'll grant you that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I used to. I used to tweet, and then I realized the regulations and whatever around it were too. I just gave up. Yeah, I hear you. Um, also, please like and share if you enjoyed this conversation. Um, you know, the more you like and share, the easier it is for us to recruit great guests like Stuart. Um, speaking of great guests, next week we've got Rowan Gray on the show talking about modern monetary theory. Um, Rowan is in the halls of Washington shaping policy on the central bank digital currency proposals. Um, and has lots to say on, on modern monetary theory and fiscal policy. Should be a really good conversation as well. So tune in next week at 4 p.m. Eastern. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now we can cue the music. Thank you for listening to the Gestalt University podcast. You will find all the information we highlighted in this episode by visiting investresolve.com forward slash podcasts. We also encourage you to engage with us on Twitter by searching the handle at investresolve. If you're enjoying the series, please take the time to share us with your friends through email or social media. And if you really learned something new and believe that this podcast would be helpful to others, 
we would be incredibly grateful if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and see you next time.